week's guest is um, David Blandy. Uh, David is a British artist who's been described as an artist and a nerd, not by me, I have to say, but by a curator that he's currently showcasing some work with. Uh, in actual fact, though, he's learned his trade at the Slade School of Fine Art and the Chelsea College of Art uh, and Design in London. Uh, and his work uses video, performances and comics that deal with what is described on Wikipedia as his problematic relationship with popular culture, <laughs> which we'll ask him about shortly. <laughs> and that particularly, I think, includes gaming. Um, he has a number of accolades to his name. Um, in 2004, he was awarded an artist residency with Grisdale Arts. In 2008, he was shortlisted in the Jerwood Moving Image Awards. In 2010, he won the Breakthrough Award at the Southbank Show Awards in London. And he was nominated for the Film London German Award uh, with Larry Akiampong in 2018. Um, he has an incredibly impressive CV. His artworks have been exhibited all over the world. In fact, the list is so enormous, I won't even try to highlight parts of it. Um, but I will put a link on the website um, uh, to, in the show notes for you. Uh, David's work can also be found in collections held in Arts Council England, uh, in Chiasma's Museum of Contemporary Art in Helsinki. Um, get this name right, I'll, I'll be, it'll be a miracle. Zabludovich collection in London. Uh, the Syndica Docolo uh, Foundation in Luanda, uh, the Julia Stocek Collection in Dusseldorf, uh, the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles, and the Museum of Contemporary Art Rosario in Argentina. I mean, wow, what a what a collection of um, work all over the world. Now we featured David's work in our films review show in June, um, Ricky's Pick, um, and actually it was something that I think we all had quite a lot to say about. Um, so what's great now is that we get a chance to put some of our thoughts and comments to you here today. So welcome to the show, David. It's really great to have you here. Thanks for taking the time out to talk to us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's, uh, it's great to talk to a real expert of it, Machinima. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. Um, let's start with you telling us a bit more about your work then, please. Hey, so... Um... I've been making videos, performances for the last 20 odd years, um, mostly around um, trying to work out who I am in relationship to popular culture. What is it that makes us who, who we are? And a large part of that has been video games and various other popular cultural artifacts like anime, manga, um, hip hop, soul music, um, yeah, just, you know, all these things that go into that great big soup that creates identity. And um, yeah, video games have been there for forever, really. Um, I grew up on uh, the Amstrad 6128, the built-in disk drive. Oh. <laughs> and um, yeah, playing Manic Miner and uh, Jet Set Willy, that sort of thing. And um, soon kind of graduated to things like the Mega Drive and um, yeah, playing Street Fighter with, with my brother. Um, and then yeah, PlayStation. I ended up uh, working at a video game shop for a couple of years um, where I really kind of did my apprenticeship in actually understanding the culture of video games, not just like playing them by myself in my bedroom or against my friends, but kind of finding the, the wider world of um, yeah, broken mechanics and um, 
rivalries and um, comradeship through a shared passion, which is what video games are. And um, through all this, I started thinking about, I was making a lot of um, artwork ar around found objects, the things that you, you, you kind of find around you and what, what the, that, those objects mean. And I was finding that the objects that meant the most to me were the spaces that existed inside games, like Doom, like uh, Final Fantasy VII. I mean, this is a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> like uh, Tekken 2. Like, yeah, my, my degree show piece for uh, Chelsea was uh, the background of Yoshimitsu's stage from um, Tekken 2, which is a, wow. it's a forest. And I kind of took out all the characters and the power bars. And so it's just a forest. And it looks sort of kind of slightly ominous. And it's, you're slow, it's a slow tracking shot which never ends it's sort of like a kind of circular loop of this because that's that's how the arenas were, were formed in Tekken 2 it's like kind of a large photo montage background which you kind of had a 3D characters inside and um and yeah projected that into the wall so you're kind of looking through the wall into this sublime vista and it's kind of thinking about finding that sublime moment inside something that's supposed to be I don't know, throw away entertainment or whatever, which is yet yeah, Tekken. Um, so, yeah, so it kind of, yeah, it's, it's been, been there for a long time. Um, I also have a kind of interesting relationship with, with art history, I suppose, because uh, my, my father is also an artist. He's a, a landscape artist. He, he make, does pastels of, of mostly trees, uh, painting the same tree every day from the same place so you can kind of see the changes of the seasons and things. And I worked with him on a project called Backgrounds, which um, where I took backgrounds from fighting games, um, mostly by SNK or Capcom, and um, asked him to draw those backgrounds as though they were actual landscapes. Um, and yeah, he, he kind of took, took on the task. And then we had, I recorded a conversation of us discussing the process and what he felt he was doing kind of drawing these kind of in a way dead la dead landscapes for him because it was like you know they're static whereas the things that he's used to drawing are, are kind of you know are, are still are something from life um and and then we kind of just it becomes a, a a conversation about art about life about um yeah the kind of edible complex maybe i don't know all sorts of things <laughs> like all, all wrapped up inside us as pixelated avatars walking through uh, these these incredible backgrounds from crazy fighting games um but really the first the first real machinima i made was with larry with, with larry Achampong. and um we had been making a project about um the philosopher and activist uh, franz fanon um who was um yeah wrote some really important texts like uh, Black Skin, White Masks and Wretch of the Earth. And he was reported to have written some, um, some works of fiction, some plays. And in some ways, um, the, his theoretical texts really outline what the problems are around race, identity, empire, the history of colonialism. But they don't really offer like uh, a strict, like humanitarian solution to, to, where, to where we go. And so, perhaps we could find, we could make, make a kind of metaphorical journey to find those lost plays. Um, they've since been found those plays and they're, yeah. they're very beautiful, but um, these, these films still exist in kind of their, their own little world where, so the first, the first film, we looked at the history of, of um, 
yeah, this kind of, of race identity, that, that relationship and our, our, our friendship, really, that's, that's kind of the center of the work. But then we wanted to go into the virtual realm and that's where Grand Theft Auto V came in really handy because it's like, here's a ready-made world. You know, I was talking about ready-made and found objects and here's a, a, a kind of the found object was the world of Grand Theft Auto um, with all its problems um, it's kind of um, stereotypes and um, yeah, racial stereotypes, kind of class stereotypes, all sorts of, um, it's partly satire, but it's also, um, it kind of go, it goes, it also plays to the satire. So you kind of, it, it tries to have its cake and eat it. And I think that's a very, very kind of difficult situation for a triple A game. Mm-hmm. So um <laughs> But it was so we were looking to go inside that game and you know a game about violence and about kind of um, appropriation in many ways and twist it and turn it and make it into our own space for contemplation and talking and trying to talk through this this kind of ever increasing issue of of the day really it's it's yeah since we made it in 2015 it feels like it's 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 become even more relevant so um yeah so that was that was us working inside grand theft auto 5 we then worked with a lot of different groups using that technology so we have a soundtrack that we made using synthesizers and then um gave the gave the game engine to various groups, said, you know, create an avatar, what story would you like to tell around this? And we ended up talking to, um, yeah, paperless migrants in Oslo, and they told the story of their their migration while their avatar walks through this kind of virtual landscape. Um, And then working with um, veterans who are in the criminal justice system in Liverpool. So um, they're, you know, they were currently incarcerated and uh, were telling their stories from inside jail. It was quite hard to get a PlayStation inside jail, but we managed it in the end. And, um, and then kind of, yeah, they were kind of telling their stories. Some of them wrote songs, um, some wrote poems, but they all created their avatars and kind of went on little journeys. And then we kind of made films out of all of, all of that. And it became, again, another work of, of machinima. Um, we've since worked with... Um, with um oh god i've forgotten the name of it the it's a um medieval type game lots of mods it's not elder scrolls it's assassin's creed no it's not assassin's creed it's got it's like one of the most modded games ever oh it's just got i've just had a complete blank but anyway (laughs) <laughs> that was that was actually despite me forgetting what it is it was such it was much less friendly to make machinima in because you had to do it all through hacks because it was like you know you kind of had to hack, hack a camera um in a way that creates some quite interesting spaces because at the end of the film kind of let the camera just roll out into the distance and you see you see all the all the models getting steadily more and more degraded until there's like almost nothing apart from just the horizon, you know? Um, yeah, it's, that was for a, for a film about Hadrian's Wall. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I've been working mostly with um, Unity and um, Unreal Engine recently. To, so so that, to just give a bit more freedom, really. Um, you know, Machinima is an amazing space, but it, yeah, it's kind of, I, I love, 
the aesthetic, I love the meaning. I also love working with found objects, but it just gives a bit more flexibility to kind of work within something where you can actually kind of place things in and out. You know? Yeah, I think uh, that's a kind of a trajectory a lot of machinima filmmakers seem to have. You know, they start out with game-based um, attempts, if you like, and mm. then end up on the more bespoke type stuff, mm. like, like, like you say, Unreal or iClone. Um, right, yeah. And, or Blender yeah. even. Yeah. And, um, you know, move on from there, really. And and sort of then sort of sidestep the kind of, uh, you know, indie fan type stuff to being more of an artist, <laughs> which is uh, interesting, I think, because you've done it the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess I, I'm, I'm always looking for the right or the kind of the... It's that, it's that Bruce Lee philosophy of like minimum effort, maximum effect. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> how, how do you create a 3D world really quickly? And like kind of, you know, Jan, Grand Theft Auto did it, but it also had, yeah, you kind of play with all the associations that come with it. So, it, you know, it's, I think as long as you are aware that it's not, a, it's not going to be a perfect facsimile, it's something else it's kind of you're working with a game space and you have to acknowledge that it it's an interesting space to work with absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely i mean we we month after month we're we're amazed at the quality of the work that's coming out mm. and the breadth of work that's coming out um anyway what i wanted to ask you you talk a little bit about cultural forces or i read somewhere mm. that you you talk a little bit about the cultural forces that inform and influence what you're interested in um in, in terms of um you know how, how you explore that those cultural forces in your work what kind of cultural forces are we talking about here it's not just game I guess and it's not just game yeah it's I guess it's um and I come from a quite a psychotherapeutic background so, oh, okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I'm talking in terms of like um the I like Lacanian theory that that you mirror the things that are around you and you kind of find yourself in the things that you look at, whether you want to or not in a way, like and um, like when you're controlling Mario in Super Mario 64 or something, he becomes a little part of you inside the screen and it feels like he's completely free to do whatever, but then you kind of come up against the invisible walls, you come up about the fact that you can't pick your nose or something like, you know, there's only, there's only so many actions that are, that are allowed. So it's, it's kind of an illusion of freedom, which kind of shifts around and then it makes you think, well, what are the systems I'm living in, in my everyday life? And is that also a kind of an illusion of freedom? So it's sort of looking at those, those mirrors that happen um yeah ideas of control I think you know the controller is a really interesting thing in in video games it's like often the perfect way to play a video game is to do exactly what the video game wants you to do I'm just thinking of something like say Guitar Hero or um Dance Dance Revolution or something it's where like if you mimic the computer completely then you've you win the game so it's kind of like and it's a, it's, a, it's it's kind of similar with a lot of um kind of pattern based recognition games like the te tetris or something but um yeah the, then you've got sort of that that thing of um fighting games where it's all about the mastery of the controls and yet yet again it's about you conforming to how the controller wants you to act even though like there's there's sort of um there's kind of free will in it and you're 
often fighting against an opponent. So it's sort of about, um, you know, you have to do combos in this particular timing, all of this stuff. So it's it's kind of an interesting thing. Of we're very, as humans, we're very drawn into um, being controlled by something. And yet we also want to kind of, you know, have our own space. So that's that's the the tension that I find. And I guess there's that the the kind of the the meta level tension is that these are all like artifacts and and cultural culturally produced by capitalism. So it, it requires a huge kind of corporations making lots of money out of the fact that you're having fun. Yeah. So like that that is you know although I love this you know a lot of this output and I love you know I love these games Final Fantasy 7 made me cry you know I have kind of really in, intense relationships with these these spaces it's also you know you're having a relationship with a a, a kind of a, a a piece of capital effectively something that that it becomes like a, you know does it actually have meaning and so um, yeah, that's the tension. I, I think it does. You know, I think it's, it's really it's psychically important. It creates incredible community between people, people from disparate places, disparate walks of life. Like um, it's, it's really the thing that brought me and Larry together as friends was the fact that we had shared memories of um, Zelda Ocarina of Time and, and Metal Gear Solid. And like, you know, we could uh, I could say uh, Sneku to him and he'd know what I was talking about. And like, <laughs> it's just these kind of weird, weird little, like it becomes a, a, a subcultural language of yes. uh, of understanding. And, and and really they're like shared memories, aren't they? They're, it's Absolutely. like, you know, when you watch the same film, it's like when you play, somehow games have a different intensity. It's like, because you are because it's interactive, it feels much more like you have agency. And I think that makes it kind of imprint on you in a really deep way, let alone the longevity. You know, you're playing a game for, again, Final Fantasy VII, like 100 hours to get the Black Chocobo and everything. But like, it's just, you know, it's, it's a much more kind of immersive thing. You don't sit there watching Star Wars for 100 hours, what some people do. But it's, it's like, it's more, yeah, I just think it's more of a kind of common cultural thing. And I think... The increasingly online, well, it, it's mostly an online thing now, I would say. Like my my son, he purely plays online. It's just Apex Legends, Minecraft. Like it's always with friends. It's always with, you know, a, it's very rarely just against AI, which is how I grew up playing games. You know, it's always just you against the machine. Whereas now it's always kind of all against all, like, or kind of, you know, playing in little teams, like it's it's a much more kind of social space, whether that's kind of social through voice or just social through action, kind of collaborative um, storytelling in a way. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's grown from there. Well, I mean, it's quite interesting that you say that because how do you reflect that kind of change in the way that games have evolved then in the work that you're doing have you got a sense of how that's taking place in your work well that's interesting I think I think there's you know if I look back to my early works they very much were about my relationship to the machine space mm -hmm. so it was thinking about it as a space that a single person was entering into and then the, the the more recent works feel much more about a conversation inside something that's going on. So 
like even backgrounds that you know it's like the two-player game it's two people you know two people in an arcade playing against each other but then it's kind of once you get into like grand theft auto 5 and it's kind of you know you're meeting at a spot even the making of that that film was very much like yeah i'm down by the pier like you know how long do you think it'll take you to get here if you steal a car like like we had to, it was kind of that physical <laughs> thing yeah. of actually kind of scouting out spaces and yeah getting into scrapes while you're trying to <laughs> make a, a, a kind of elegaic work <laughs> work of work of fantasy it's like um yeah it's it, it feels much more about yeah, forging forging for, forms a community now than than it did. I I hadn't really considered that before, but I think that's I think that's true. I think it has there has been a shift in how it's understood. You know, I mean, when when I was making that work using Tekken two, like I had to explain to people what video games were. Like it, like in in ninety eight ninety nine, it wasn't like a common cultural phenomenon. It was a geek thing. It was like you know a thing that that. Like, just like comics were for quite a long time yeah. it's um but now it's just like so mainstream you know it's like it's like the way that marvel's become dominated cinema it's it's everyone has a video game in their pocket on their phone so it's like you know it's become in a way the dominant aesthetic is 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 um is the game which is think- quite quite a fascinating shift it is, but it's still pick your geek. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think I think it's um, I think it's the level to which you become immersed in those things. You know, people do things casually, and then they do things hardcore. And it's like you know that 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 there'll always be that that kind of um, tension. I think. Yeah. Well, you're definitely the hardcore side of it. I think. <laughs> I mean, for, certainly the work that that we reviewed in in. Um, back in June, the how mm. to fly, how to live. You know, to me, there was definitely a sense there of you seeking personal meaning through the the work that you were presenting there. And yet, interestingly, when I I, I looked at um, some of your other work, um, I can't even remember what it was called now. The one that you've got, uh, where is it called? Ed, is it Edge of Forever? No, uh, whichever. Um, where, where basically what you're doing is um, interrogating meaning, I think, um, through the relationship to another person like um, Henrietta Lacks mm. or Darwin's taxidermist. So you, so you, so one one side you're sort of seeking meaning to you, and the other side you're exploring meaning to these long dead folks, seemingly. Yeah, I get. I guess it's looking for an understanding of um, a kind of psychogeographical position of of people and places. So you know, what does why are certain ideas venerated, and why are certain ideas sort of put down? Why is some sort of cultural knowledge? seen as very important and other types of cultural knowledge seen as like base or kind of to be disregarded and I think you know a a lot of that goes with cultural capital and you know what's uh and yeah um essentially like social standing etc so um 
yeah, Henrietta Lacks's life and, and body was not seen as a valuable thing. Mm. It was seen as almost a, as a possession. Um, John Edmonston's skills were not were not kind of lauded until he, he had this association with you know the great white man, the Darwin. So it's it's sort of how can we say? I guess it's it's an anxiety about um, ideas of knowledge and power being intrinsically intertwined. So you know, often becomes about um, reinforcing the status quo in some way. And how do you tell alternative stories or alternative ways of understanding the world? Um, mm. And yeah, it's, it's sort of a, that that's a lot of the, the thought there. How to fly is sort of taking that, that kind of, yeah, I, I would say that's about yearning. <laughs> it was like, it was, a, it was a yearning for escape and for nature and for, um, I guess meaning, like you say, in in the t the kind of times of deep lockdown. So, like, it was made right at the start of the pandemic when it felt like this could go on forever, and you're kind of completely isolated. And me and my family were going out for kind of early morning runs as our as our um, kind of you know one hour of exercise or whatever that we were allowed. And we'd go out because we were in Brighton. We were going just driving about probably probably too far legally <laughs> to, to the downs. And then then kind of going for a run, seeing often seeing the sun kind of almost rising up and kind of, you know, it was just it was had that real sense of almost escape and the sublime. And the idea that you could maybe find that through Grand Theft Auto seemed kind of ridiculous to me, but also absolutely perfect because this is where we were living. We were living inside screens. We we're trying to find meaning through our conversations, through the games that we were playing. I heard so many people getting really into Red Dead Redemption 2 at oh, that time because yeah. it, it has incredible landscapes. It has beautiful sunsets and things. And it's like, you know, trying to get that, that real... A connection to something other, something yeah, sublime, almost kind of a taste of um, the other, something unworldly in inside a video game because you can't get it from outside because outside was forbidden, you know. So it was it was sort of playing with that that sort of space, and yeah, the spiritual text which I adapted from it was was very much like, you know, that's another attempt to find a different way of different type of meaning I mean yeah me I in some ways I was taking it on in a kind of ironic way this you know this is um something that's trying to be incredibly meaningful and I don't kind of believe in I don't know animal science etc but at that moment it somehow like all came together into something that became more than the sum of its parts you kind of had Grand Theft Auto the Google text and then the, the soundtrack and it kind of yeah it, it formed this this something that was something yeah to be uh meditated on maybe yeah it, it, it definitely invoked meditation I mean <laughs> here's a question for you then why cormorant <laughs> it was because it was because I um 
I was it was going to be all about the heron because I'd, I'd had a kind yeah. of funny funny relationship with a with a well a funny moment with a heron on down on the serpentine bridge where it, there was one that was just flying around and it kind of like flew right into my face and it kind of like I just thought it's kind of amazing this huge huge bird like just just sort of semi-tame in London um I always then, call them pterodactyls actually yeah <laughs> very... and then yeah, and then I started making this piece, and I was I was tr trying to look for a heron inside Grand Theft Auto, and of course, like oh, you know, they, the the closest they've got is the cormorant. So, okay, well, maybe I can work with that. And so it became like a kind of yeah, working with the found object to create the thing that I wanted to do. So yeah, that's that's how it got to the cormorant, and it had those aspects of like like in the text it, the, the kind of the liminality it's between things so it's neither of air or water it's kind of you know it's, it's got it's got its, its feet in both places so it's, it, it seemed it, seemed kind of perfect in the end it, it was a very <laughs> a very good story and, and i guess really what we when we were talking about it we were kind of reflecting on the fact that it starts out as a tutorial and ends up being this almost poetic um piece that you just lose yourself in it was it was incredibly well done the narrative um uh the narrative side of it, it just so it just really fitted with what you were um you know uh, seeing on the screen and then you know and how you were escaping basically Love yeah that. that yeah that was the I mean it's part of a series the kind mm. of tutorial series and all of them um they really started from that idea of the intimacy of the YouTube voice. So, because I've, I've studied mm. <laughs> studied under a lot of YouTubers, because <laughs> trying <laughs> trying to make my work, kind of learning bits of After Effects, doing bits of Blender or whatever, and, and you, it's always like you know you need to learn how to I don't know create three D planes in After Effects, and so you, you you look up some video and you've got a twelve year old telling you, yeah, and now you put the little <laughs> press the screen. <laughs> And then you put the x-axis to here and and there's but there's also a real intimacy because it's like it's like they're talking just to you yeah. even though it's it's you know it could be a hundred thousand people have watched it or it could be just like 50 people have watched it it could be like they've put it up and they've got this one little piece of information that you were looking for <laughs> like kind of thank you so much like you've, you've saved me hours of hours of work by kind of pointing out this geeky little little aspect of the program and there isn't anything you can't find out, is there? No, absolutely. Like all of knowledge is there in a kind of yeah. very, very strange sort of disassociated form. It's sort of, yeah, it's people telling you stuff. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to kind of it to be that shift between different modes of storytelling. So you've got that kind of intimacy, the, the false sort of um, immediacy. It's as though I'm just making up. It's sort of, uh, yeah, kind of improvised ad lib monologue. But, you know, I try and reveal the reveal the, the thing a bit yeah <laughs> yeah and then um and then it goes into something a kind of different register so in the first first tutorial of that type it's called um um how to make a short film about extinction and it was it's it was that voice of kind of um I wanted it to be the voice of the planetarium because <laughs> I'd been oh. to a planetarium before uh -huh. that and and there's that thing and we you wear the headphones and it's like they're in your head and there's this is the world and the world is, be you know, like it's really portentous and it like becomes really 
it takes you into another space somehow, just the, the manner in which it, the voice works. And yeah, I wanted there to be that shift within the work. And so, yeah, this How to Fly it was much more into that kind of like ASMR kind of, yeah, like everything's cool, you know, <laughs> kind of voice. I, so, I, think, uh, I think it did it really well. And yet, mm. and in a similar tone, I don't think this was a part of the same series, but mm. Android's Dream seemed to do pretty much the same thing but with a different kind of aesthetic look to it. But the net results seem to be the same. Yeah, yeah, that was, um, that was a um, response to um, a kind of an, a demand by, by Petra Sesman, another artist who uh. wanted, uh, asked me to do, make a piece of work um, using, yeah, using computer technology in some sort of way. Um, and I wanted to play with, um, the idea of this, like, yeah, the kind of um, like cyberpunk aesthetic, um, how played out it was. I was thinking about um, the recent video games, Cyberpunk 277, and then, um, yeah, kind of rehash of Blade Runner, but then just all of the tropes that go with it to the extent that there are like you go onto um, Unreal Engine's asset store and you kind of, you know, there's there's whole worlds of <laughs> cyberpunk kind of worlds that just exist there because that's, it's one thing that people want to make. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of taking a whole load of those kinds of assets and then adding them to um, a deep fake version of my voice. So it's, I, I, I trained, a, I trained a, one of these um, AIs mm -hmm. to, to have my voice through kind of, speaking the script a few times and then and then kind of had them voice the entire track so you're never listening to my voice you're listening to the, kind of an artifact of my voice and uh, yeah that's that's kind of was was the the, the kernel of, of that that particular film and well the bit that strikes me was where it finishes there there isn't a a narrative to follow because it's gone garbled <laughs> and, I, and i and i remember when i was when i was listening to it, i don't actually remember the point at which it changed i mean that was so subtly done but i think that was a genuine the meditative quality i think of what you what you produced there was was it was it took you on such a journey that you just we're in the zone, you know, like, like you say, that kind of almost Saganish type, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. voice that takes yeah. you there and little blue planets. And it was, <laughs> you know, it was that kind of, uh, yeah, I loved it. Oh, thank you. Well, it was, it was, I think it's kind of an artifact of, of the artificial voice because it reads backwards text in exactly the same <laughs> kind of tone as any other text. So it tries to make sense of it and makes it sound like, <laughs> makes it sound natural in a way that I think I don't think if I'd read it backwards myself I would have had that kind of same fluency so yeah it's it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of yeah moment it just it, yeah it was I think that was a really interesting experiment I really enjoyed that <laughs> cool and and the, the the film that I forgot the name of it's the um a lament for power oh yeah and yeah. and you know, I suppose really extrapolating the point that you're just talking about there in in that particular film, what what you've got there that seems to be the, the I mean, there's a really strong narrative that goes through it, but also this really sinister growing black blob, just like the blob in the in the, you know, in the old 50s yeah. film or whatever it was, which kind of really you know, that's that becomes so dominating and forceful. Is that the, is that what 
the intention was there with that one? Yeah, it was, I guess it was a, it was a metaphor for almost this, this fear of the return of agency in a way. Um, it was, it's that idea of Henrietta lacks almost her revenge. <laughs> so, because her, her body, um, her cells are immortal. They, they reproduce eternally. Um, they were found through, um, yeah, basically a biopsy and they, they just, they yeah, they were, they were harvested in the early fifties and they're still reproducing today and they're still used in experiments. Um, wow. they were, they were used to, um, yeah, it's called the HALA cell. Uh, they were used to solve, um, cure polio. So, you know, they've gone, to, they've done, they've achieved great things um but they also were taken without consent and um they say that um if you were to put all the halo cells together that have been grown in cultures uh, across the world it would be take up more more kind of mass than the empire state building so so like this in that that's where that original that kind of imagery came from it was that kind of idea of just this explosion of of flesh but also yes it's kind of like a a horror movie the blob or kind of that that kind of idea but it's also that idea of the return of the real it's like something that has been repressed just sort of exploding and, and taking over and being um yeah undeniable I mean it ends in darkness that film it's like you know the image is in the end the image runs out and it's like all you have is the voice and it's like you're inside the blob and like kind of you have to have to kind of uh yeah give give yourself over to it perhaps it's an amazingly powerful film we'll definitely put a link to that one definitely have a look at that thank you, thank you. um and yeah well quite <laughs> different to the others but um yeah yeah i mean i think it's very much like it's a work I don't think I could have made without working with Larry because mm. it gives a different, you know, the fact that we're having a conversation about these things gives a different, yeah, it gives a different agency, gives a different sense of um, ideas around, I guess, who owns culture and things, which... Um, yeah, I don't feel I could have approached that story by myself, really. And I can uh, understand it, why you would yeah. say that, for sure. Mm. We, we wouldn't have the voice for, for, for telling yeah. stories like that, I think, because yes. of our colour, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, you have to be aware of your, you know, part of what makes a work is, is the artist and, like, you know, where, where we sit. And, you know, it, not everything is... Um, yeah, it's it's always every subject matter that you come across is you have to think about your relationship to that thing and how that makes sense. Um, yeah, you can't kind of approach everything as though it's neutral. There is there is no neutrality. <laughs> there is Absolutely. no there is no objectivity, I would say. So it's like, you know, you have to take that on board. And then once you've acknowledged that and it becomes a part of the work, I think you can kind of tackle things. But that's yeah. That's, that's how I feel about that stuff. The voice actor that you had on that was also um, brilliant. I don't know who that was, but she was great on that. Yeah, no, she, she, was, she was amazing. Yeah, we, we found her through, we did a, um, a small yeah, show in, in Texas 
um, a few years ago, and the um, curator there kind of gave gave us her name, and yeah, it was it was really yeah, she, she did an incredible job. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking through my questions. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your approach to problematizing problematizing the game, mm. which seems to be, you know, a big part of how you go about creating the work that you do. <laughs> mm. um, is it always in collaboration with other artists that you do that? Um, I guess, I guess no. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'm the, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of backgrounds. I kind of made that by myself, but then I made it with my dad because he was like, the other voice in it, the yeah. the one the one for Petra, it was you know that wasn't made in collaboration with Petra. It was it was you know my own work, but um, I think it's something that I'm going to. And of course, the early work was really like just totally like yeah, <laughs> it was um, like pictures of me and Ryu playing video games in in my front room. Like I did a kind of <laughs> Photoshop Photoshop thing. I made a made a video of um, me as Mario. So it was kind of a little D on the cap and kind of like glasses <laughs> and stuff, just just looking at the screen and breathing. But I don't know, I just, I find that working in collaboration is often really, um, it brings a different energy to things, which I really enjoy. Um, someone to bounce ideas off and um, it becomes about a conversation. I, I, I was in a, in a band for years and years, like making music. And I think it kind of brings that same sort of energy. Um, yeah, my my solo stuff tends to be slightly more uh, solipsistic, so kind of thinking about meaning and things, um, mm -hmm. and like yeah, like how to fly. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I it's something I want to explore more over because now now I feel much more fluent with Unreal Engine. I feel like there's a next next kind of level of things that I want to do with it. <laughs> Uh, well, I was going to ask you actually, what's the work process that you have, and where does the idea come hmm. from for a project that you've got? Um, yeah, often it starts with um, it starts with almost a space. I think in some ways, I'm primarily a installation artist maybe <laughs> but I like to work with a space and think of that as like a you know what does this space mean and how can I make an intervention into it to, to make it mean something different and then once I have that kind of visual sense of something then I'll start thinking about the meanings around things and start um, writing a script or something mm -hmm. um, and then yeah and then often kind of the music sort of comes after that um a kind of yeah what is what is the tone I want to set for this piece what is the um yeah what is the space that I want to define around this and it kind of it, in the end it all forms a sort of frame around the kind of core which I think is often the the voiceover so it kind of it becomes all, all of kind of very elaborate frame for <laughs> for the kind of a conversation between me and the viewer <laughs> 
So. Got you. Now, <laughs> when you when you talk about space, do you also talk about the physical space, like the gallery space that it's going to? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think I think that's that's there as a sort of abstract for me. I mm -hmm. you know I, sometimes I'm working with a space that I I will know what the space is in order to work with it but often often you don't at the start of a process mm -hmm. uh, you know you kind of think and I think that's why you know white cubes exist etc so that you can kind of have that default to to move into and and disrupt and change um and and I think I think there's also the space of like the laptop like here like you're kind of thinking about this relationship to the screen so mm -hmm. you're, you're thinking about it as a as something that you can kind of enter into and kind of talk through rather than necessarily like I don't know be immersed in I don't know a whole gallery space yeah you, you kind of you approach those two spaces a bit differently hmm. and yet you've got to kind of somehow uh, get them to intermingle I suppose in the, in the work for it to sort of connect to, to your yeah, audience you, yeah you want you want it to work in all those spaces um, and I think I think that just comes through experience of knowing how how different types of shots work in different spaces. You know what what works in, in kind of in transition over those different sorts of spaces. Um, yeah, I think I think some of my works work much better small, and some really only work once they're installed. But there's that's like you know, um, yeah. I mean, there was a, there was a piece I made which was supposed to be like a planetarium, which is. Um, the end of the world which um is displayed on three screens kind of it was supposed to be a big curved screen but we couldn't make the curve so it's like three screens <laughs> and, then, and um but it, it worked really well it's like kind of you're sitting in it and it kind of filled your peripheral vision and it kind of had that planetarium sense to it so mm. um yeah so seeing that on a laptop doesn't quite have the same effect i don't think no, it's quite. I suppose yeah. it, you know, VR and technologies like that would help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. VR version of that does exist, and yeah, and I quite like it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it works a bit. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, um, Damien was quite interested in the in the apparently happy accidents in the workflow that you you um, seem to have. Can you tell us uh -oh. a bit about how you allow for accidents. Oh yeah, I think he yeah. was referring to the crashed cormorant. Yeah, yeah, the crashed <laughs> cormorant. That was, yeah, it was. I, I, I guess I wanted to, kind of, in a way, you know, I knew where the film was going. I knew the film was going to be like this, this quasi spiritual thing. So I wanted to try and break, make it as as kind of clumsy and. Um, seemingly haphazard as possible in the first bit so so yeah um yeah that no that that crash actually happened like i was trying to trying to fly fly the cormorant but i thought you know when going through the through the through the rushes i felt like that that worked really well as a, as a thing and of course the voiceover is completely you know i wasn't I wasn't talking over it as it happened. It's just like that. That's just my bad acting. It's like, like <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just, you know, I have this, um, yeah, the, I kind of, the whole of that first section is, is much more, in a way more contrived than the second section because because <laughs> I've kind of constructed it as a, as a video that I'm then doing a, a kind of pseudo, um, freeform chat over so yeah 
I, I mean, I kind of even give it away by putting a lot of the text in the script that kind of pops up. Like it show, it shows I did you. see that. And I, and I, I mean, I, I think the others didn't quote. I mean, certainly I knew it was a fake tutorial right from mm. the minute I, I started to watch it. But I think the others are kind of drawn in more to the fact that, oh, tutorial and then a film. Uh, but, but the whole thing just didn't stack up for me. I thought it was really yeah. interesting. And, I, and that's really where I think part of your your approach to cultural appropriation, if that's if that's the right word, I think that's quite interesting the way you've gone about doing that as well. The fact that you're reflecting on the way that you've interacted with the with the tutorials simply through that kind of creative process as well. I think I think all of the, you know these are new cultural forms that are being formed as as the internet progresses. You know, we like um, I don't know the Zoom meeting is a new a new space that we can you know that, yeah. Uh, that needs a needs an artwork around it you know it's like well yes I was going to ask like, <laughs> what is your artwork <laughs> <laughs> I yeah so so far my kind of under in terms of in terms of zoom and things I've been working with um role-playing games within that space and it's a really that's a really perfect thing for that space because it's like you know you're having a group conversation and you're imagining a kind of, you know, if you're four people, you're imagining a fifth space, which is between all of you. Mm. And it's kind of hyper real to everyone. And I've had some really intense kind of, um, yeah, scenarios and moments within that, what, what to many, many people is like a hellish space of the Zoom meeting, you know, but it's, it's like, cause you, you all give yourselves over to this, this fantasy space, it becomes something other and something really interesting. So yeah, that's that's what I've been kind of investigating in terms of I don't know, the voice so and, and 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 group chat. <laughs> so we've got some interesting Zoom type machinimus things to come. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. I think I think <laughs> I think my next my next thing is is yeah, deep dive into into Unreal Five. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Well, I, what I, I was going to say is, you—I mean—you clearly have a, a a wide breadth of games that you draw on. Um, possibly only focusing in terms of machinima on some games mm. and not others. And currently, a preference GTA Five. No, I think I think we've done our last GTA Five film. Okay. <laughs> like, like both me personally. I mean, yeah, I, I felt like I think probably with me because for a long time it was my and Larry's work was all was kind of quite GTA 5-ish and then I mean, it's quite old now that's that's like seven years isn't it it's like yeah, it feels yeah. like ancient ancient technology I think um yeah there's there's some some new spaces to to explore perhaps um I don't know what the next thing will be but it, yeah people keep modding things so I think I think these these spaces keep growing I, I yeah, I, I'm sorry. So, to some extent, I think it's quite. It might be quite interesting to work with something that's not so. I don't know, quasi perfect. Um, like thinking about, um, yeah, much more kind of broken spaces. Maybe even kind of go back into the history of gaming and see see what spaces could be found there. <laughs> Plenty, I would have thought. Yes. <laughs> Plenty of broken spaces, that's for yeah, sure. Definitely. Um, I was going to ask you then, how 
how does the role of audiences and the and the way the audience is kind of changing be, be, because of online culture, I suppose, how does that now fit into the work that you develop? Yeah, that's interesting. I think, you know, I think the, the gallery space is a space. <laughs> it's been really, it's been really useful for me in terms of kind of keeping projects going, um, in terms of having an outlet where I know that I'll have kind of control over how something's consumed in a way. But um, really the, you know, the, the mass space is, well, it's TikTok and Instagram, like that's where, and, and YouTube maybe to a lesser extent these days, um, you know, those are where moving images consumed the most. So in a way it's behooven to artists to try and engage with that space in some way. Again, it's an incredibly problematic space because they're both, you know, um, artifacts of uh, kind of corporate culture. Like, what is the ownership of things once they get once they move onto that space? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, I like to try and engage with um, with people. You know, I don't want to just be talking to an arts gallery crowd. I want to try and communicate with with the world and you know that's where the audience is that's where you have to try and engage with you know I haven't done that yet but you know I think that's oh. maybe, maybe an ambition <laughs> well I was just going to ask you are you on TikTok and 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 what are you doing on it <laughs> <laughs> not not yet um, uh, yeah it's it's I think it's an amazing space um you know from what I've seen of it I I love the kind of the sampling culture that exists on there the kind of the answer video thing that, that happens there but um yeah I haven't quite kind of got my head around what what I could how I could enter into that space yet but I think I think it's 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 definitely something I'm mulling over yeah I think one of the big challenges with those kinds of platforms if that is mm. even the right word nowadays is is the issue around discoverability mm. and that seems to be becoming massively more problematic than it than it ever used to be. I mean, YouTube is a, is a nightmare for um, finding um, work that's been created with certain types of assets or, mm. you know, if, they, if, if it's not tagged in the right way, you just can't find it. It's very, yeah. it's a really challenging space, I think, to, to be involved with. Yeah, um, yeah, no, that's very true. And none of these platforms seem to be addressing any of that, really. But whether, you know, whether AI was, is the solution to that. <laughs> I, I would argue that they probably don't care. <laughs> like, no, so would I. I agree with you. <laughs> um, you know, I think we're 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 using these platforms under kind of almost you know almost undercover. <laughs> like it's it's not it's not what they're made for. They're made for things that to go viral or to be you know a certain type of of um, entertainment that then gets shared around and becomes you know, a, a phenomenon, they're not really made for kind of quiet meditations on the meaning of existence. <laughs> you can find them, but they're, 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 they're pretty well hidden. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's how to fight against the algorithm in some ways in, in those spaces and kind of subvert the algorithm. Um, that is, yeah, that's, that's the, the key to, to that kind of next stage, I guess. 
Uh, I guess we need to look forward to some of your work doing that. <laughs> I can have ambitions, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you now, how do, how do you see that your work fits into the into the current world of machinima and, and kind of real-time production then? Golly. Well, I guess I, I feel like in terms of in terms of machinima, I feel like an outside outsider artist in that I'm using this form and yet I'm not quite part of the culture. And you know, I, I would I would like to be, but I just haven't been up to this point. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I, that's something I'd like to get more involved with because I mean, I've, I felt that with my tabletop role-playing experience that I kind of made a tabletop role-play game. And then I realized that there's this enormous indie world that I kind of hadn't quite understood and now feel much more, you know, inside. And I think that that same journey has to, has to take place with Machinima to really, really understand where, where it is. You know, I'm inside the world of video games, but not so much inside the world of Machinima. That's interesting you should say that. Um, not, sh you know, I think, I think it'd probably be fair to say there's probably game-based communities, but, um, the, you know, the, the creative space mm. is there for everybody to kind of contribute to, and you definitely do that. <laughs> So that's, very, that's, that's very generous of you but I, I guess what I mean is in terms of like you know kind of a daily weekly engagement with other creators in the space oh, you know I don't okay. feel that I, I don't feel that I'm I'm in there right now in fact I've just started being on a discord with some of the other artists who are in this um, exhibition at the Judith Dosset collection called World Building which is all mm. around video games and art and that discord has been really great it's like it's quite a few of the artists involved just discussing what games they're like and what they're working on right now and kind of yeah just swapping kind of under the hood kind of conversations about about this yeah this this fun world really and yeah that's that's kind of the closest i've felt for a while to, to, to being part part of that community yeah and is that open to anybody or is that just you guys um at the moment i suppose it's just uh, us guys but we could we could open it up a bit um once we feel a bit more comfortable yeah that'd be great Cause, cause <laughs> maybe that... i should let you know about it yes <laughs> yeah. please do because we'll definitely um yeah. we'll put a i mean i was going to put a link to that particular show in the show notes in any event because that looks oh, right. a fascinating yeah. show and that, you know obviously some of your work is being shown mm. there um which is particularly interesting i think um i guess I mean, you know, certainly some of the work that we're, we've been reviewing seems to suggest that Machinima has a more and more of a role in the world of art. And I, I guess, you know, from your perspective, how do you think Machinima now fits into the world of arts practice? Um, I think it's I think it's a I think it's one tool. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think I think. Um, I think there are certain, it kind of, I think it comes from the world of sort of um, video art, of people working with tech, people working with um, kind of, I guess, net art and stuff. Um, and it's all kind of come together into 
almost more like a video game aesthetic. You know, I don't know whether that's machinima per se, but it's mm. it's using that kind of visual language of video games mm. as a way to think about often uh, speculative futures and um, virtual worlds and different ways of living. Um, they, they, they seem to be all kind of quite tied up. And also, yeah, the problematics of capitalism. I think, I think a lot of that is, is wrapped up in, in, in the kind of video game space. I think it's a very, I think for some people it's a very seductive space because it's, you know, you don't need actual materials. You just need access to the technology. So it doesn't have so much, so many overheads. So it's like, it's quite an accessible medium. Um, if if you've got like if you're at art school then they have computers so then mm. they can use them um, and I think I think the big kind of I think the big schism that exists within that world is between the people who use the aesthetic but don't um, kind of make the make the visuals so they they're using it more like a, as a director so they'll say they'll say to a kind of a 3d artist right oh this this and this and it, you know it's got to look super shiny a month later they come back it's like here's a film and like kind of then they do their thing to turn it into their art mm. and then you've got also then the kind of the other side which is people who are just completely tinkering with like how I don't know how a Wii controller works and then kind of turning that how, now what could I do kind of a scrolling shoot 'em up game using this particular technology and the, I'll make it all about um yeah black trans lives inside this space and it kind of it all works it feels like it's very much from within it's like is it from within the machine or kind of from outside the machine it's like mm. kind of these two sides to it and I, I I think that's that's kind of the the very different approaches that I think come end up with sometimes a kind of similar aesthetic, but they come from very different places. Um, and yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm someone who always is, is very hands-on. Is um, I think I'm mostly, a, I would say, a post-production artist. <laughs> so I'm working <laughs> most mostly with things like After Effects. You know, like me using Grand Theft Auto is typical. Like, like I would say, Unreal Engine is like very much a post-production kind of, you know, it's, it's not me making everything in Blender and then kind of making a world that is entirely mine. It's more, I'm interested in working with the found objects that exist there and kind of playing with that aesthetic and kind of how you can put things together into interesting kind of combinations. Um, so um, yeah, that's that's where I, I kind of stand inside it. It's, it's, it's as a, a kind of, yeah, post-production person. <laughs> <laughs> and have well, you got any I was just gonna say because I think we've been going quite well now <laughs> <laughs> um and I have to say I do think the the comments that I started with uh, describing you both as an artist and a nerd are probably spot on <laughs> what I was good <laughs> yeah I think you I think you've demonstrated that what I was going to ask was um have you got any uh words of wisdom for um people looking to explore machinima through their arts practice you, you know what would what you know if you had to start again what would you what would you say oh golly I, I guess I would say don't be afraid of it 
I think it's a really exciting space. I think it's, it, you know, there's both the possibility for making almost like sketchbook works where it's like you just make a simple intervention into something and it becomes an interesting piece. Like there's that piece of work where someone just had a deer running around Grand Theft Auto 5. And that was the work was like just following the deer as it kind of got into various scrapes. Um, you know, that is it's really, really simple, but very direct. And then also, um, you know, but then you can get into these things really super deeply and and yeah, start working with with video games properly, like like making making your own games or making entire spaces. You know, I think it's it's a very flexible space. You can both approach it with almost no knowledge, but also kind of go into it so deeply that you're kind of in total control of this thing. So I think I think it's an incredibly exciting space still and it's it's actually very accessible it's not you know i think maybe 10 years ago it would have been more tricky you could have done you know some machinima would have been possible but maybe some of the more um unreal engine unity type stuff would be much more difficult but now it's become much more like user-friendly and and possible and then you can kind of mix in things like i don't know lidar scans of stuff or like um, found objects, There's, you know, people have created a massive array of, of things to, that you can populate a world with. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really like a big sandbox right now. It's brilliant, it's brilliant. On that very note then, David, let me say thank you so much for being part of today's podcast. Um, awesome. It's been a, such a, a delight talking to you. I'm sure Ricky's gonna be dead jealous. So. <laughs> Thank well, you been, very much. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's been an honour. Really, thank you so much for having me on. You're very welcome. You take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hang on.